Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yes, 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 yes. Let's go to the Feywild. Dun, dun, it's a carnival time. You're Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Moo. Wait, no, you're Shelly Moo. I'm Shelly Moo. This is the official Dungeons of the Dragons podcast. And we're excited. I'm so excited. Can you tell? I didn't mean to just like say, let's go to the Feywild before we even introduced ourselves, but that's how excited I am for this interview. We are currently in the wild beyond the Witchlight. Definitely. And it's that's- very, very strange in here. <laughs> Things Ooh. keep morphing and changing. I just saw the face of a tree. Look at me. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. And There's he's like, like, don't cut me down. The flowers are blooming, but then they're also wilting. It's up, it's down, it's left, it's right. I don't know what's happening. But it is crazy, though. And we get to talk to Ari Levich, one of the writers on the Dungeons and Dragons team who was working tirelessly on this book and this adventure over the last year or so, maybe yeah. even more. Great stuff. We had just talked to him uh, for some lore you should know recently, uh, but we get even more in depth on what's exciting about this adventure uh, in our interview. So look forward to that. Yes. Turns out it's everything. everything. Everything is exciting about this. So, And of course, we're gearing up for the release of that on September 21st. It's available in two awesome covers. Uh, one that is the standard cover that is by none other than Tyler Jacobson. Check it out. And then there is an alternate cover that you can get only through game stores by none other than Hydra 74. So good stuff all around there. We'll be talking about it a ton more over the upcoming weeks and especially at D&D Celebration. Whew, there's a lot there. Uh, yeah, there's quite a bit there. D&D Celebration. Coming to you and everyone, Greg Tito, on September 23rd through the 24th, 25th, 26th. <laughs> Shelly's very good at math. Um, yeah. But yeah, we got lots of panels talking uh, about what's going on in the Dungeons & Dragons community, not to mention lots of fun uh, in, you know, interviews and talks with the creators uh, behind Dungeons & Dragons, live games that will blow your mind as far as the creativity within them. I don't want to give any hints, but there might be singing involved. Could our dreams finally be coming true, Greg Tito? It's a reality TV show with with, uh, musicals, musical numbers in it. And roses to hand out. Exactly. Very exciting uh, about all that. You look for more information on that on the D&D Celebration website. Lots of information on there and information that is constantly being updated. So keep checking back there and make sure you're signing up for those virtual games because those uh, seats went really quickly last year. So yeah. if you are thinking about gathering up your party and going to join us at D&D Celebration, make sure that you are signing up soon because uh, you we want to make sure that you get your whole party together and also that you get to play on the platform that you want to. Like if you like Zoom or Google Hangouts. Whatever. There's a dungeon master standing by ready to take you on adventure. And many of uh, those playing in those games, it'll be their first taste of getting to play in the Wild Beyond the Witchlight, or at least games that are themed close to that. So that's very exciting. Jump in and maybe you'll be uh, in a game with some of us uh, rolling some dice and causing some mayhem. That would be fun. Super fun. Uh, We'll also hear uh, from... 
folks on the D&D team about more upcoming products like Fizzbands, Treasury of Dragons, uh, that is coming out in October, and Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. There is content all around those uh, in our panels as well from the D&D team. So, uh, you know, mark your calendars. Yep, yes, and go to dndcelebration.com. Yeah, uh, and that, all that content will be up on our YouTube channel uh, in addition to our twitch.tv slash DND. So, again, you get to pick your platform. That's what we're all about here. Pick your platform. You can pick your friend's platform, but you can't pick your friend's nose. That's, that's not true because I definitely picked my friend's nose. In the Feywild, and it turned Anything into a, gl- you know, a, a gelatinous cube. Anything goes in the Feywild. It is true. Uh, speaking of anything goes, uh, it's time for you to talk to someone about how to DM. Well, actually, good topic because you know what? Not anything does go in D and D when we are talking about creating safe spaces, which is exactly what I'm going to be talking to Beth the Bard about. So, Ooh. I there is a really wonderful um, community on on the uh, Instagram called a channel called the uh, Women of of D and mm-hmm. D, and there's an amazing amount of of wonderful, um, diverse creators that get profiled there. And I discovered Beth the Bard there, and I loved her uh, interview because of just her work as a therapeutic dungeon master, and she works a lot um, with kids and teens, and but also a lot of great advice about what it really means to create a safe space for you and your players and... Um, how to be welcoming, and how to add uh, more diverse characters to your games. So looking forward to digging into some of those topics. All right, awesome. Well, let's let's give a listen and then uh, stick around for our interview with Ari Levich. Okay. everyone welcome to how to be a dungeon master i am here with a very special guest this is beth the bard now you may know beth the bard if you don't you will after this and you should definitely be following her beth is a professional dungeon master that is correct a professional dungeon master um a writer who also specializes in therapeutic tools role play and neurodivergent accessibility which you know are all topics very close to my heart also very curious about beth's uh, feminist reimagining of Curse of Strahd, <laughs> which is a best-selling DMs Guild title for a uh, good reason. I'm going to go ahead and guess. Um, I discovered Beth the Bard on a, a wonderful um, Instagram channel called The Women of D&D, where um, very amazing, talented, uh, diverse group of uh, content creators in the D&D community are profiled. And I uh, read Beth's profile and a short interview and was like, yes. We must be friends, and we must be talking about Dungeon Mastering. So thank you so much for being here, Beth the Bard. Thanks for having me. There are so many things that I want to dig in with you. It is actually, it was very hard to uh, narrow things down. So as we just talked about prior to to this um, interview, you're going to have to come back because you're doing a lot of great work. Also, you're a professional dungeon master, so I think that's kind of interesting (laughs) to our audience. Um, But what I wanted to focus on is um, uh, your work that you have, uh, that you do when it comes to creating safe spaces with your um, 
with your D&D groups, maybe because a lot of those groups are, are kids and teens, uh, and also the tools that you use that really that help with that group cohesion, which I think is a really important part and one of the great benefits of playing D&D is feeling that connection with your groups. Um, and as a dungeon master, you uh, can help foster that. So, I mean, where to begin, uh, Beth? But possibly, like, if people aren't familiar with the concept of um, safety tools and creating safe spaces, maybe, like, why why are these things important? Yeah, so I think they're mandatory, honestly. Uh, especially, and nowadays we know that these are there. And there's a lot of talk about them. There's free resources. Uh, definitely look up uh, Mon- Monty Cooks. Hold on, I got to get this right. Monty Cooks, um, there's a free guide to using safety tools. Uh, excellent, excellent stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's really important because it creates that sense of safety for the group and um, just, and for the dungeon master too. Like there's, there's a lot of times when I'm really glad that we went over safety tools ahead of time and made these lines and veils and such for my sake as well, because, you know, we're all playing together. Um, yeah, that is true. Uh, a lot of times I think when people think about the safety tools, they're always thinking about the dungeon master creating that safe space for players. But you're absolutely correct. The dungeon master is also a part of this and shall also be protected and be able to have their uh, boundaries and um, and be respected in that way as well. Respect your dungeon master. <laughs> One of the things that was that you said in that profile also was that a lot of times the, the players that you're playing are a reflection of yourself. And so it can sometimes be hard for, you know, to separate exactly, you know, the things that happen in game to and leaving them in the game. And um, as opposed to like what it feels like, yeah, life. it's. It's an extension, a lot of, a lot of, especially, especially when you're working with kids, it's an extension of themselves. It's something they've created that they're very passionate about. I mean, adults too. Right. I just work a lot more with kids and I see this firsthand where they're like, they, they poured their little hearts into this. And then, you know, that's, uh, that's why one of my big safety tools. So I've got, I could talk about safety tools all day, but like, you know, and house rules. One of my house rules is no player versus player. We are not allowed to attack each other. We are not allowed to steal from each other. This includes if you guys go do a job and they pay a hundred gold before I implemented this rule, I'd have kids be like, uh, okay, I take it for myself. <gasps> and everybody else is like, wait, what? And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. We're not going to do that. And so I started implementing into our session zero house rules chat. So I could be like, ah, we talked about this makes it easier. Um, so no stealing from each other. And there are certain situations, however, where consent comes into it because they might be just being like funny with each other. And they're like, oh, I just want to like, you know, pop them with a stick for doing this thing, you know? And, and I kind of, it's, I have to read the table and it's like, okay, well, as long as there's no damage and things like that, and there is enthusiastic consent to this, the other player will be like, absolutely, this will be hilarious, like, do this thing. And it's like, okay, let's roll for it. But if the other player is like, I guess, it's like, oh, nope, that was not enthusiastic consent. And we go with the basis of no. Like, it's no unless it's enthusiastic. So that is, yeah, that's one of those big important parts for me. (laughs) That's really interesting. So, like, um, consent versus enthusiastic consent because I oh, can, yeah. I see how 
kids might feel a little bit pressured to go along with something. Like, okay. They don't want to be like yeah. like pushing it. And, and it's not one of those things where you point it out either like, oh, you were not enthusiastic, so we're yeah. not going to do this. I'm feeling it out. And then I, as the dungeon master, I'm like, eh, you know what? I'm not feeling it. Let's not do it. Let's oh. uh, let's try this instead. And then redirect the attention really dramatically very quickly. <laughs> oh my God. I, I can feel the relief that when from the player to hear the dungeon master be like, nah, I'm not feeling it. You're taking that. You take the, the responsibility yeah. of the decision. And then, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. And like, I mean, the topic of consent in general is out, even like outside of a D&D game is an important one. And that is um, hopefully when things that they are learning uh, about their D&D party and about um, consent in game is going to follow them into their real life. As into well. adulthood. They're going to be mm. like, wait, I remember that That's consent, not unless enthusiastically yep. given, is a no. It's like, <laughs> that is oh. not enthusiastic. Mm. <laughs> Love it. Um, so just curious, because you do work a lot with kids and when they're creating their characters, do you notice that they tend to gravitate towards creating characters that embody a lot of themselves or do they are they the opposite are they just like I'm going to be someone totally totally different it's what I've noticed with okay so with kids it's an extension of them what I've noticed is it's an extension of them in um in a in a bigger more grand way like I am this big masculine fighter character and um, and I can do all these amazing things or I have this one kid who loves to play detectives like Sherlock Holmes styled and every campaign nice. this kid has done with me. They're like, I'm, you know, I just, I can see everything. I, I understand it all. I'm good at solving puzzles. And so it's like, I can see that these are the things they're, they're wanting. Whereas when I work with adults, it's usually like, well, this is the wacky side of this part of my personality and I'm going to channel it into a character and go wild with it. Yeah, so <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, well, that's cool. Um, okay, so one of the other, I'm just keep referencing this profile, which was really rather, they're, they're, they're short um, bits of content, but they're jam-packed with good information. Um, but one of the things you talked about was this concept of group backgrounds and how that can uh, lead to creating more cohesion among the group and safe spaces. But I need to know more about what this means. What is what are group backgrounds? Absolutely. So when when you come to a new campaign, you come with a character, and most of the time, at least with the groups I work with, they also come with pages of backstory for this character. Really well thought out. They stuff. they just are inspired to create that. They're so excited. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Just. And, and so I get these like pages of backgrounds to work with and things like that for going forward into the campaign. But what I like to do is because it's very important to me that our group is immediately a team. That's why, you know, no player versus player. We need to be a team. We need to work together. I can't have you coming in here like I'm a rogue and I don't want to talk to anybody. It's like, how can we do that in a way where we're still being good team members like Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, who's a rogue, has his own agenda, but still is a great team player. Right. Right. And so um, the group background thing, it helps mesh them together. It's like, okay, so this is this is what I'm hearing about you. This is what I'm hearing about you. How can we bring you guys together? What is what is tell me about a quest that you two or you three, you know, went on together? previously and then they're like we didn't it's like no no no, no. like oh. we're, we're making it up right now like tell me 
we're going to talk about right now. Let's make up a story. What did you, you save that manticore kitten from a tree together? That's amazing. Tell me about it. You know, you, um, things like that. So creating that group background separate from just coming in and this is me and my story. It's like, how are we making our story going into this? And it doesn't have to immediately be from session one. I like to try and put in those hooks in session one. Uh, session zero more like sometimes I can't have a whole session zero so it's like a discussion as part of session one so it's like how can we go forward immediately with some group background so that you guys are you already know each other mm-hmm. you already appreciate each other but you can do it going forward too so in my I run a gender bent curse of Strahd campaign and two of my characters you know they're both from the nine hells and so they're like oh okay now we grew up best friends done okay that Love is it. part of it Two of my other players in the campaign, we're 10 sessions in and they've just decided, I think we might be from the same domain in Ravenloft and we didn't know it until oh. it's like, oh, let's dig into that a little, shall we? Nice. So it can be ongoing. And having those connections with the other players obviously also helps build trust, which mm-hmm. then helps create that safe space that is so important. I I had... Um, a dungeon master, like the second dungeon master I ever had did that, like tried to asked us all to figure out how we knew at least one other party member. And I thought that was just the coolest thing. Like instant, instant connection. Like I we are already friends. We are already bonded. And I just like our characters were very, very, you know, close in the game and it helped us as a party of real people um, become closer in real life too. So I just... It like breaks the ice. It really does. Yeah. And like, and just the way that you're asking those questions, like, tell me about this, a time that you guys had this little adventure. Like you're, you're also easing them into the role-playing part, which can also be really scary for people. So, I mean, again, it's just all laying that groundwork, which is amazing. I love it. (laughs) So cool. Uh, You also mentioned the yes and approach which is a tool that most dungeon masters do like to keep in their toolbox. But um, how do you use that also to um, create safe spaces? So that is, you know, and I referenced a lot working with kids because that's what I, that's what I do. But I noticed there's a big difference in with this particular thing when working with adults and working with kids, when I'm working with my adult players, one of them will be like, I'm going to do this thing. And the other players are like, Ooh, I'm going to quiet down for a minute and we're going to see what happens there. And this is going to be wild with kids. uh, This is a really, really big thing. Somebody will say like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go do this. And another kid almost always jumps in. No, don't do that. Do it this way. That's not smart. Do it this way. And it's like, Ooh, oof. Ooh. Right. So as part of session zero, so that, Rather than having to explain in the moment, oh, we don't talk to each other that way. We use the spirit of yes and and things like that. Um, I try to cover that in the session zero. So all I have to do is go, ah, 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 yes and. And they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. And then they, you know, they kind of fix it themselves. But, uh, you know, don't. uh, I like to use a show don't tell type of thing with this if we're. If we're adding on to the yes and and the no but thing, like, hey, I'm going to open this door (laughs) rather than as the player saying, no, don't do that. That's not smart. You need to check for traps, things like that. It's like, no, no, no. They are opening the door. Um, As as a character, you can say, 
hey, buddy, let's check for traps real quick. Right. Or you can say, while they're going to open the door, can I do a quick perception check to look for traps? You know, things like that, like adding on to the situation instead of shutting it down. Because sometimes with kids, especially, they come in and they're nervous to talk. Even if they want to be there, they're nervous to speak up and they're nervous to do things. And a lot of times I've got kids that aren't even necessarily there because they chose to be there, but their parents are like, hey, this is good for you. You're going to try it. And so they're like, you know, that extra reluctance. And then when they finally speak up to have somebody be like, no, it's like, "Mm -mm -mm. no, no, this is a safe space. Our ideas are all valid. We're going to add on to them instead of taking them away. That's, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And I always talk about this too. Like I feel super intimidated in games, even when I'm playing with my friends sometimes that like, I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to open a door and it's blatantly like riddled with traps. And I just didn't see it because me, the, the player in real life just forgets to do those things. Um, so I, I like the idea of having, encouraging the party to, you know, in game add on to the action that may be taking place or like assisting like, oh, I'm going to jump into this conversation and I'm going to, you know, instead of telling the player how to do it. That's a really important distinction because I, I would feel terrible if my, the people I was playing with were like, Shelly, oh, there's probably a trap. Oh no, she's going to trigger a trap as opposed to like, oh, I would be like, I'm going to sneak up behind her and like just look over her shoulder and make sure there's no traps. Ah, exactly. Okay, great. Wonderful. Yes. Big, uh, big important distinction there for sure. I, I tend to even play characters now that like are just kind of like flighty, um, impetuous, like that are just Same. prone to making <laughs> bad decisions because one, it's actually really fun to play a character like that. But two, like, if I do mess something up, it's like, of course the character would have done that. That's that's who she is. I mean, come on. You can't expect her to, like, actually sweet talk a guard. She's just going to walk in. Because I don't want to talk to the guard. Um, but anyway, so the other thing that um, I was impressed and appreciated that you you do in your games is that you make a point of incorporating diverse um, characters and introduce them um, as NPCs throughout the game. Like you mentioned uh, a, if you play with, are your groups, do they, are, do you have groups that are all male? I do. Okay. So like in, introducing strong uh, female characters into Incidentally, the Incidentally, my all male groups are in my like gender bent curse of Strahd campaign where it's like oh, really? 80% women. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm like, Hey, cool. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I think it's really important to, I, I, again, like the safety tool, I think it's mandatory to make sure your NPCs are diverse. Right. I mean, and it, it doesn't have to be like some big thing. They're just a character and you just describe them real quick. Hey, this is what they look like. This is, you know, if they use like a wheelchair, do you see their chair and, and then they're just, they're like an NPC, like every other NPC. They just happen to be different than the people you're playing with or use different tools. I, I, I think that people make a really big deal out of diversity in games. It's like, it's not, it's not 
It shouldn't. You just, be. you just you put it in. It's yeah. Like you yeah. don't use like caricaturized voices or or things like that. Like don't don't do that. Just just add diverse characters. And you shouldn't make a point of being like. And now uh, the the boss uh, comes in, and she's a woman, and she is very strong. And exactly. very powerful. Like, no, it's just like, okay, so like the boss, their boss comes in and she's, uh, her name is this and this, and if there's any distinguishing characteristics that are important for the players to know, say that. But I always find exactly. myself, especially with, I have an eight-year-old boy and I'm always like, I, I would find myself a lot of the times trying to like put like, no, like look at these strong women characters, you know, in like, play with your Harley Quinn action figure and not just, you know, uh, whatever. But he actually does have a Harley Quinn action figure and he loves her and he does play with her a lot. But um, I was finding myself being like too overt where it was coming off like disingenuous or, or like I was like, I felt the way I was put, putting these things in front of him was making it too obvious that they were different, you know, like. Yeah, just make oh. it a normal part of. The system. This is just it now. Now you have like a collection of action figures and half of them are are female. Great. Cool. No bigs. Like it'll just become inherent. So um, exactly. But like doing that in your in your games as well, I think is super cool. Um, And then the the world building. So is this also something that you um, involve your characters in? Is that part of creating their backstories? So, so world building happens as we go. Okay. Like if we're playing an already established game with an already established world, I mean, it's there. But but as we're moving forward, this just happened last night. I think we did there was some world building together. Uh, and it's not necessarily the world itself. It's like collaborative storytelling that that makes the story unique to the group. So we move forward and they'll have an idea or they'll think of something. Um, I'm going to give two examples. So the first one happened last night. You know, my players were, um, this was my, my streaming game. They went to, to kill this baddie and um, they're like, I'm, I'm going to do the sword thing. And I'd like to like cut off their head. And I'm like, well, they're not dead yet. So that's not going to work. And then I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to world build this together. It's like, okay you do and its headless body keeps like moving towards you for the next attack it's like okay so now we've got this this creature in this world now that can do that maybe it's a reborn or something like that but we just built that together it's our story because they were like yeah do it do it do it oh i love so, it rolling with that um or a few days ago i was uh we're at the end of a lost mine of Delver campaign and these kids were, you know, running through the forest to try and find the this mine with with Gundren, the dwarf, you know. And they had just dealt with a changeling a little bit ago. And as they're walking along and chatting, they're like, "What if Gundren is a chain, like one of these shapeshifters?" And I'm sitting there to myself, and I'm like, "Well, he's not." But then they started getting so excited about it and talking about it, and they're like, oh. "Yeah, because he did this and he did this, and this happened." And I was like those are really good points. I did. You guys picked. Oh, so I'm like sitting over here and I'm like, okay, he's a shapeshifter now. Okay. So then they, they went in for it and they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to interrogate him about it. We're going to go after it. And so I was like, okay. 
uh, he steals your key and he runs off. And they're like, no, go get him! You oh, know? And, that's so cool. Like, in that moment, we changed the world and the story together because yeah. they were just so excited. I was like, how could I not lean into that? No, that's amazing. And I like <laughs> that you also validated that, like ma- empowered them, like made them feel like, yeah, the, the knowledge that you picked up on, like you sussed it out, kids, like. Like, even though I didn't pick up on I that because I don't plan that well. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, they imagined the scenario and it felt really good to them. And I was like, it's on. <laughs> that is that is brilliant. Um, all right. One of my last questions. And then uh, if there's anything that you want to add, we can certainly do that. But when you're playing with lots of different uh, personalities, different um, different people, how are you... Because obviously, like we've talked about, some of them are going to be more comfortable with role playing and, you know, with you know, like wanting to, to be more like, you know, part of the story than other people. But how do you, um, what do you do if you notice like a player is maybe a little quieter or is seeming to be a little bit intimidated by the action? How do you help bring that person more to the forefront? So there's a few ways to approach that. Um, I- haven't experienced it with my adult groups yet because everybody in those groups is very, I play with a lot of bards, I think. Definitely (laughs) Um, definitely not a problem there. (laughs) um, But my kids, uh, so I have to, I have to take everything into account. Sometimes a parent will message me and they'll say, hey, my kid is joining. They are nonverbal. They want to just sit in and they want their character to be here. They created a character and they want it to be there and they want to watch the story and just be on Zoom with other kids, but they're not going to actually involve themselves and they're going to feel really bad if you try to force it. And I'm like, okay. Absolutely. So, you know, um, I will say at least two of those kids that were put in my groups like that started talking and interacting with the groups fully um, by session five or six. Just throwing that out there. Absolutely wild. Yeah. Did they um, did they take that outside of the game as well? Did they were uh, they more talkative? Well, because the these kids they were verbal at home but not at school, mm-hmm. and so they would they were talking in our sessions. And I know one of the parents reached out and was like, "Hey, they're starting to talk more like in their classroom and stuff oh as well." And I'm like, "Oh my god, D is beautiful." <laughs> it's so therapeutic. Oh my god. Um, but like, you know, until that moment comes, it's like, I'm not going to pressure you, but I'm going to make sure that your character still gets some spotlight. So I kind of play like, I'll play them a little bit like an NPC. Hey, your, your baby dragon character does this thing. Do you, do you like that? And they're like, like, yeah, go oh, for it. Oh, cool. Whereas other kids, they're in there and they're just feeling a little more shy. I try not to do like the random calling on them. Um, if I feel like they've got that anxiety. Yeah. Um, some kids are like, you know, I'll call on them, I'll feel it out, and they they jump in as soon as they feel like they have that permission. Yeah. It's like, okay, 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 I can do that with you. So I keep track of that. Other kids are like, um, um, and I'm like, you know what? Never mind. Uh, switch subjects, and then I know that they don't like that. And so I try to use a different approach, kind of like using uh, in situations where, you know, I, I want to make sure everybody's getting involved. I'll use more like initiative mode outside of combat where it's like, uh, you know, I will be calling on you after this amount of time and that seems to be like the winner because they've got that That's time to idea. prep. It's not just a random, oh, hey, you. And they're like, ah! Yeah. Yeah, the, the idea of like the surprise, like, oh, I don't know when my, it's the spotlight's going to shift to me. I can see that that would be 
a little bit scary. But yeah, knowing when your turn is coming. Yeah. And then they still, it's like, it's, hey, what do you want to do here? And they're like, I don't know. It's like, totally fine. Do you want me to come back to you? Yeah. Yeah. Come back to me. It's like, okay. Do you ever narrow it down and give them like, will you, do you want to do this or this or that? It's Absolutely. Because a lot of times they'll be like, I, I don't know what I can do here. It's like, okay, well, uh, trying to think of an example, uh, you know, they're about to fight about it. It's like, okay, well, you can jump in if you want to, if you want to start initiative, you could try to sneak out this way and go look for more clues. You could, you know, like whatever the situation is, um, I try to give them at least three um options of what to do and I'll be like and if you don't like any of those options I mean if you have any random idea no idea is stupid there's no such thing as a bad idea throw it out there even if it's not even part of the rules like let's chat yeah that's exciting for a dungeon master Let's, (laughs) let's see what we can do um I also noticed that you tend to you ask questions that make um like when they do an action you ask them the questions about well what does that look like what does the other party see and i love that that's a a a tactic that i greg tito did when he was dming for myself and some new people and that he was you know doing that as a way to help them like under like get into like the role play part of it but i had never I've been playing spellcasters for years and nobody has ever asked me what it looks like when I cast a fireball or something. And it was so cool. Yeah. Like my fire is green, just so everybody knows. Just so you know. (laughs) Yeah. Like what does it look like when you cast burning hands? Oh no, I have a toddler running. (laughs) Oh hi. It happens all the time. I usually have one. He's at the doctor right now. Otherwise he would be here too. Not a toddler though. Oh. Um, well, I mean, that's a, probably a good spot for us to start wrapping up. Is the, unless, Do you have any other tips for Dungeon Masters on cohesion and safe spaces and making players feel included? There's so much good stuff here. But I know I you took say, notes. I uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, just being really receptive to um, what they're talking about. Um, what they're wanting to do. Uh, I mean, you can, as a dungeon master, you have access to your players' character sheets. And most of the time, they also give you access to their backstory information, you know, separate in a Word document or something. Yeah. Um, And just trying to, sitting down and trying to find ways that they might not be able to see um, this like teamwork connection or things like that and, and, and kind of helping weave those threads and then bringing that up in session or um, connecting them into the story in those ways as well because, because uh, yeah, once, you know, something from their backstory or things like that comes up in session, they're more invested. And then if it also is connected to this character, they're more invested. And then they're like, oh, we've got this thing that we got to work together on. And ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. Amazing. Um, I would love to have you come back and talk more about being a therapeutic dungeon master and the work that you do um, with kids. But we'll save that for another time. (laughs) Um, In the meantime, where can people find you and uh, learn more about the work that you do and and what other projects that you have? And I mean, who does not want this feminist reimagining of Curse of Strahd? So we definitely (laughs) need to plug that as well. Um, so yeah, you can find me anywhere, uh, at it's Beth the Bard. 
So like on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of the socials. I think there's so many socials, uh, yeah. but it's the same one for all of them. And then I also have a website that's just beththebard.com where I'm trying to keep everything organized in one spot uh, for easy reference uh, and collaboration. I love collaborating with people. So like reach out to me. Just do it. <laughs> awesome. Well, hopefully people will because you have um, a lot of uh, great experience and great advice and just you're hugely talented. So I am excited to to have you uh, and, uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, be my guest here and help inspire other Dungeon Masters. Thanks again for having me. <laughs> anytime. And I mean that. Anytime. So many great uh, ideas and guidelines and just, you know, important things to have in your brain when you're when you're running a game. Yes. And I, you know, I love this segment because I just really like to talk to wonderfully creative, talented people that are are doing great things with D&D. You know what's so funny is that making like, it better. when we were writing uh, the book around Dragon Talk, Welcome to Dragon Talk, which we turned in, um, mostly done-ish, uh, over it's the very <laughs> week or so. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those segments just really came from the two of us just wanting to know more about specific topics. Like that's why I, we, we do it. I think that's even what I said when I was writing about how to be a DM. It's like, it's totally self-serving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one asking that question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so cool to just meet new people and and find out how they're using D&D and just what they're doing with it and all the yeah. cool things. I love it. And We've got an amazing adventure, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, which Ari Levitch is going to tell us all how we can use that in new and exciting ways. So Ooh, I can't wait. Jump in and roll some diggity dice. <laughs> Everyone, let's welcome Ari Levitch to Dragon Talk. Yay, Ari! Hello, all. Oh, woo, 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 woo. Very Yay. excited to have you here, Mr. Levitch. It's been a while. Yeah, very excited to talk about Witch Light, uh, which I didn't realize until just saying this out loud. It kind of is rhyming of your name. Mr. Levitch and Witch Light. Uh, Mr. Witch. Mr. 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 Levitch. Witch Light. Of a a kind, I suppose. Yeah, all right. Is that why you you were working on this? I was very insistent that uh, (laughs) I worked on this for that very reason. (laughs) Well, it worked. It's working. We are glad. I am obsessed with the wild beyond the witch light. That's good. I, I fully am. 100%. I'm in. Right. So then we're done. Like my whole yep. job was to make sure that Shelly was into this. So. Yep. I, and it, it worked. worked. I remember hearing about it like well over a year ago, whenever it was in the works. And I'm like, that sounds like that could be right up my alley. Um, and it is. I love all of the themes. And eight is my favorite number. And Mine I know too. that's a theme. Is it really? Yeah, it was always my number when I had when I was able to choose a number for baseball or basketball. I always yeah. chose eight. Really? Yeah. Well, is there a reason? Met. Is there a reason for eight? I think it was uh, like I just liked the infinity symbol ishness of it. Like if you turn it on its side, it was the infinity symbol. Uh, there's a REM song called uh, "Driver Eight that I just got you know in my head for being young at that time. And, wow. and because it's an important number in the Feywild. And that's why, most importantly. <laughs> Particularly in the Domain of Delight Prismere. Because, uh, because precisely, it's, uh, it is re- it's resemblance to uh, the infinity symbol or even an hourglass. 
Oh. Oh. Which, our with a code name. Interesting. Um, honestly, I don't even know where to begin uh, with this. But well, maybe let's talk about maybe we Prismere could... is, a, is, a, is a good place to start. What do you yeah. think, Sean? What, uh, I mean, how do you want me to let's... jump into this? That's well. First of all, well, tell us what your your role was working on this sure. book. Um, so I uh, I was one of the writers on the book. So I worked with uh, Chris Perkins and Will Doyle and Stacey Allen. We were the we we wrote the words uh, in the book. So okay, one of those folks. And lucky, I got to do you. some yeah, I got to do some like world building ahead ahead of time. Uh, I got to work with uh, Adam Lee and Sean Wood, and uh, yeah, it's. It was a blast to just kind of just spend some time in the Feywild and then create this adventure. Oh, that's so cool. All right. So, oh, good job, Greg. Good parenting. Um, so, Prismere, I guess we're going to, we'll just jump into Prismere because yeah. this is, you know what I, I love about this too is that it's such a, uh, a different vibe from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. <laughs> Like it's just like a nice palate cleanser once you finish another uh, book that I was obsessed with as well. But Prismere, uh, very unique, different. But what? Tell us, like, if you were Rick Steves and you were going to encourage us to visit Prismere, like, what what should we know about this beautiful place? I mean, so first I'll just kind of uh, jump off of what you're talking about with Van Richten's Guide because Van Richten's Guide talks about, you know. Um, it goes into domains of dread within the Shadowfell. And so it's an interesting thing that you say this is kind of a palate cleanser because Prismere and is it takes place in the Feywild, which is a plane that is kind of a um a, like an opposition that exists in opposition to the Shadowfell. So where the Shadowfell is a gloomy place, kind of devoid of a lot of emotion and all this kind of, and it's, it looks even desaturated in, co- in color. The Feywild is the opposite. It is this emotional outpouring of a plane. And um, instead of domains of dread, like uh, like you read about in Van Richten's guide, there are domains of delight in uh, in the Feywild. And these are all kind of emotional expressions of the Archfey that uh, these powerful fey beings that that created their domains and um prismere is one of those domains and so the wild beyond the witchlight adventure gets to explore um that particular domain of delight that's so cool and, yeah yeah i love the idea i mean because i know uh reading old uh D editions and especially things like planescape where there was these idea of opposite planes right like there was the you know the plane of of water and then the plane of dust and then you'd be like they would be in opposition to each other i feel like that idea is now continuing here with yeah with this and kind of speaking cosmically there is the material plane that you know um that would be the equivalent of where where we exist and both the Shadowfell and the feywild are these kind of very close mirrors of the material plane and so that you got to explore a little bit of that in, in Van Richten's guide, um, particularly with focusing on the domains of dread. And so, um, yeah, now we get to go to the, the other side of that, which is the Feywild, and explore uh, one of these domains of delight. Yeah, which is, which is yeah, Prismere. So the so, denizens of Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft, all that are very uber creepy and, you know, as you were saying, like colorless uh, echoes of things you might find on the material plane. 
that is true of creatures within the Feywild as well? Like they're more vibrant and full of emotion? Yeah, and so I'm going to use this comparison a lot because it just helps, especially because you know people might have already read Van Richten's guide. So when you have the Domains of Dread, there's a sense that the Dread Lords, who, you know, whose domain it is, um, is kind of trapped within this, right? They're tormented by things that they might have done in life or kind of cursed in some way. Whereas like the Domains of Delight um, are kind of emotional reflections of the Archfey that lives there. And the Domain of Delight is literally shaped, physically shaped by the whims and personality and nature of that Archfey. And then there's a cyclical nature because then the domain itself kind of shapes the archfey as well. So in some way you can almost, while it's, you know, this, this place of exuberance and it's this place of kind of raw emotion and um, kind of whimsy, there is this sense that an archfey also might be kind of beholden to that emotion. And so mm-hmm. there, the, the sense that uh, this is where some of the kind of sense of danger exists in the Feywild, that you're dealing with this kind of, with these erratic uh, beings who might be able, you know, whose behavior and um, mood might switch rapidly from, from one moment to the next. And that, that is true of the, of the Fey, of, of Fey beings kind of across the board. There is this, whole spectrum of emotion you know you could have you know rage embodied in 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 fake creatures called red caps or you have you know fear with like mean locks and things like that and so there are all these kind of emotions attached to fey beings whether it's lowly fey creatures or the most kind of extravagant uh arch fey oh my god okay so first of all i feel slightly attacked when you're talking about these the way that these fey creatures can change or you know, th- depending on their mood, things change. Because I-, I actually do feel like I might be a little bit fey in my Does house. Does your environment change around you to reflect? I, if I'm not in a good mood, the house is going <laughs> to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> the color can, starts to come away from the paintings. Yes, yeah, like Quinn's action figures slowly start to melt. And <laughs> they start to frown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to make that short uh, film. <laughs> I know, right? So, but so can... They're not when you say they're beholden to a certain emotions, like but like is it just like wherever you are walking around in Prismere, it's changing? It can just always change. Like I remember hearing like, well, flowers could wilt, like if yeah, the, so the archfey this, this is, is feeling sad. This is a Feywild kind of generality, um, with Prismere being an example of this. But the Feywild, not just so. Domains of Delight are, are very much shaped by the Archfey, but the Feywild, the fabric of the Feywild responds to emotion. So it's not just the, the Archfey that have that kind of influence over the environment. And so within the Feywild, like you were saying, you might be walking around, but if you are distraught, you know, the environment might reflect that to a degree. Like if you are in, you know, if you are brooding or if you're in kind of a bad spot and you're walking along, yeah, your footsteps might wither the grass that you're walking upon. But if you're in this kind of jolly mood, like the flowers might, you know, come out and almost appear to be kind of smiling at you and things oh. like that. So like there is this sense of, of, of the, everything is so connected to uh, emotion and, and expression, emotional expression here that it's just built into the fabric of, of the place. So, like, you could go there with very bad intentions and uh, cause a lot of damage and destruction. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, again, as whimsical a place as as the Feywild is, 
it's very dangerous. I mean, if you kind of lose yourself in, in indulgence or you come across, you know, fake creatures that are embodiments of those of those kind of negative emotions. And so there is a, oh. a sense of danger that exists here that can feel hyperbolic to a degree. It could feel over the top in a way that um, where the shadow fellow might feel might feel gloomy and might kind of drain you of energy. There's this kind of frenetic quality that might exist in the Feywild, depending on where you are, that kind of keeping up is itself its own danger. So I'm getting some like bipolar uh, comparisons here, right? Where Feywild is the manic episode and the Shadowfell is the depressive episode, right? Like you get, you know, it's one drains and one might be too exuberant. And there's something there's something to the idea of connecting into you know the way humans process information and process emotions, and so there's something that, that is very identifiable in that way. But at the same time, you know you're in a place that is not the material plane, so it feels different, but somehow recognizable. And so, yeah, I think you're you're touching on something for sure. It's so as adventurers. Now I know that there's a lot of rules to how you interact with uh, the Fey um, inhabitants. Lots of etiquette um, that one must, you know, be somewhat knowledgeable about. Hopefully, we learn some of that when we're at the carnival before we get to the Feywild itself. But is for it for us as adventurers who are going to be exploring? How do you? It seems like a very difficult, challenging place to be in because. Your, of how much your actions and your mood can affect your environment. So are there like rules that we should be following when we're in there? Like just just keep smiling. Just so keep there smiling. are there are rules. Um and it a lot of it kind of the way those rules are interpreted varies from individual to individual. Okay. So this is where it, you know, it is different from I think I touched on this a little bit in a, in, a, in a previous chat about kind of the etiquette of the Feywild, but the idea of, you know, the rules of, of reciprocity and, and hospitality and gift giving, these are all things that exist uh, in the Feywild. Love you. Um, but the way that those are interpreted, it's, it's, it depends on, on who you are dealing with and what is important to that particular Fey, uh, fey creature. But these types of etiquette agreements are different from contracts that you might sign, you know, if you're, uh, if you're in Avernus. So these aren't kind of letter of the law, minutia, kind of gotcha clauses. These are by interacting in this certain way, by, by participating in gift giving or, or being hospitable to a, a stranger, you are now kind of working within the rules of the Feywild, but it is not a lawful place, generally, the Feywild. There is what? this chaotic nature to it. Um, and so, again, the chaotic part of it comes from how Fey creatures interpret these kind of rules of etiquette. So when you're talking about gift-giving and exchanging things of equal value, somebody might give you, you know, a, you know... It, you might want like this 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 uh, beautiful gem that a fey creature has, and you you see nothing like this in the material plane, and you just want this thing. And what they might want in exchange for it is, you know, are kind of the buttons on the cuffs of your jacket because they love buttons. You have no idea how much that's worth to them. And so, discovering what they want um, is part of the charm of the Feywild. 
Yeah, we went into a lot of detail yeah, about that. On I won't, that yeah, I won't, I won't belabor know, that one again. Uh, which yeah. I'm, is, I'm that glad you're giving the... a, <clears throat> uh, an overview here. Uh, definitely go back and look at uh, previous episodes yeah. to get that. Um, but I just love, to Shelly's point, like how players, the inciting incident of getting to the Witchlight Carnival is going to be the first kind of foray into learning some of these hopefully some rules for the players and so that yeah. when they go to Prismere, they, they they have at least a basis or an idea of what they're, they might be doing something wrong. Yes. Yeah, if you if you are um, an astute participant in the uh, in the carnival, um, there are things that will prepare you for uh, your foray into the Feywild. Um, yeah, I mean the the carnival itself is is a is a fun kind of D and D experience, and it's fun for you know characters to um, to kind of experience the carnival and experience, you know, the attractions and the games that are there. But yeah, if you kind of pay attention, it's also priming priming the characters. And, you know, mm. Absolutely. Okay, good tip. Like, maybe you should uh, fill your pockets with all sorts of little trinkets because you never, like you said, you never know what they may, the the people or the, or the creatures that you encounter along the way might find. And there are many game. opportunities to get kind of, to get, Trinkets unique to uh, this adventure that are Feywild uh, specific. So, I love the trinkets. a question I always I wanted to know is: what you, the player, does what do the when the Witchlight Carnival touches down in in your area? Do you do you already know like that's a portal into the Feywild, or is that just something like you as a player just discovers, or is that like yeah. a, a well known fact? Uh, the it's mostly the latter. It's this it's this idea. So it is this, you know, enchanting carnival that shows up every eight years. Um, you know, it it has this kind of beautiful procession of these of these carriages that are pulled by winged wing, uh, winged animals, and they kind of land and they set up uh, the entire carnival. You go there and you have a good time. If you have if you have a ticket, then uh, you you won't be hassled. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, within the Feywild, the Feywild itself, or sorry, w- within the Carnival, the Carnival itself is a Fey crossing. That there's a way to wherever the the Carnival um, is, there's a way to get to uh, to Prismere uh, through it. Okay. And that, the, and then the dungeon master can choose to have that be like a widely known thing, or or that that the uh, players might know it ahead of time, but they don't they don't necessarily know that they're going to get. The you know, going on into adventure, but it's a little bit like descent into Avernus when you're like, all right, we're in Baldur's Gate, but we know we're going to get to hell at some point because it's in the title. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's pretty. Cl- I mean, <laughs> I think the the joy of running this adventure is being pretty upfront about this is going to be the Feywild adventure. We're going right. into the Feywild to do some fun things. Um, now the carnival itself can exist independently. That's one of the beauty. That's part of the beauty of how it's written. Mm-hmm. Is that's not a thing you want to do, and you just want to have the carnival as an aside or something. Or if you want to use it as a springboard for another adventure, you can do that. Um, but for this, yeah, if you're like, we're going to be playing, you know, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Yeah, get ready because you're you're going to be going into the Feywild. So, if in theory, does the Witchlight Carnival always lead you to Prismere? Yes, I mean so I know that, it does yeah. for this book, but is yeah. It so fake crossings themselves are are the way the um, material plane and the Feywild kind of um, exist is they're they're proximal to each other in, in a you know in a cosmic sense, and that means that there is 
there are places where the veils between the two planes are thinner, and there are crossings where usually they're, they're kind of like mystical-like locations or um, like if you go through a ring of standing stones, you might not know that you have stepped from the material plane into the Feywild, but you go through it, and when you leave it, you're in a different place. And it has, you know, there might be a place like the standing stones in the material plane has a mirror in the uh, in the Feywild. So when you step through, you're not, you might not even know you've crossed over. Um, but it might be a circle of mushrooms, or you might go into a cave and exit the cave, and you were in the material plane, and now you're in the Feywild. So that kind of stuff. So they're usually kind of fixed locations that go from one point in the material plane, uh, plane to the Feywild. The carnival is unique in that. It travels around, but the crossing always takes you to the domain of delight, which is Prismere. Right. Cool. So, what's um, what's the hook for getting people to go into this portal? Uh, what what is Mister Witz just shoves you in there? Yeah, right. I mean, it could be as simple <laughs> as that. You could have just tripped and fell in if you got a particularly clumsy character uh, who fails their dexterity check. Candy. But like, yeah, what, what's what's the inciting incident really for 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 wanting to go in there and and find out what's happening? So there are two different um, major hooks of the options that you have when you're when you're starting this adventure. And so the DM uh, working with the players can figure out which one kind of best suits, you know, the, the, the group. Um, there is one where a, um, an old kind of warlock of uh, Zabilna. Zabilna is the, uh, the archfey of Prismere. Mm. And there is a warlock who has a pact with, uh, with Zabilna, but hasn't been able to kind of, Feel Zabilna's presence or contact Zabilna in any way. And so he uh, contacts the players to try to go into Prismere and discover what's been happening. There's another option where it's assumed that the players or that the characters have been to the carnival before, when the carnival was last in, in, in the, when eight years prior, like before the carnival, eight years before the carnival has arrived. Carnival had already been to that location. And so this hook assumes that the characters have been to the carnival at that time. Mm -hmm. And while there, they were there without tickets. And if you're there without tickets, something of value can be taken from you. Okay. And so this could be, there are, there's a whole table of the, of the, of what could be taken, but these could be something like, you know, it could be something like your your smile or the color <gasps> of your eyes or something like that. Oh, I'm or like thinking it's mother. like my keychain or my my teddy bear. Like, whoa, like really like. Yeah. So it's these are things that you have lost and you know that you have, you know, you have this kind of tug that you have lost these things. So that hook brings you into the Feywild to recover what you have lost because you had eight years to kind of kind of know that that thing has been missing and it's been eating at you. So. There are these two kind of two things there and uh, are two possible hooks. But, you know, a DM can find all sorts of reasons to, to push somebody into Prismere. So I've been, um, you know, my daughter loves animals and loves, you know, all things D&D for sure. And I've been hinting that, oh, the next adventure is all about the Feywild. You know, there's, there's rabbit folk, there's Herringon and, you know, fairies. She's always had a fascination with fairies ever since watching Tinkerbell. And then yep. I gave her a small... Uh, D&D miniature of a fairy that she's lost many times. It always seems to find. 
So themes here are consistent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what what would be some good ways in your mind to uh, use this book that would be for for a kids campaign? So I, one of the the great things about the way this was designed. And this is not necessarily like prescriptive in any way, um, but it was it was designed where um, you can that there are ways to get through each encounter and each obstacle without combat. So if you're if you want to have fun with, I mean, you could always draw your weapons or cast spells or do whatever. That's always an option. But it was designed in a way where if you wanted to play in a campaign that you know, let's say, didn't glorify violence or anything like that, you can absolutely. Um, run through it with kids and you can basically teach creative problem solving, which I mm. think is a, a fun thing to do. And yes. you, you could show how much fun that uh, characters can have with fake creatures, with these, you know, you know, bargains and with these, uh, uh, with just playing up the quirkiness of the Feywild. So I think that that's absolutely fun. And there are, there are in one of the uh, locations in Prismere, you actually meet a group of children as well Um who kind of have they have a tree fort that's uh, built in the boughs of a uh, a, a treant. So oh. it's 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 adorable and it's awesome. So there's a lot of fun things to just interact with uh, for uh, for younger players, but also just the idea of D and D isn't necessarily a fighting simulator game. That there are other ways to to deal with problems. You so you can like really play up the the fairy tale essence of this camp of this story for kids yeah, ideally. I mean, like you know sure. you can you can just like it's there's things that that they'll understand like fairies so you can be like you can be a bunny rabbit who doesn't want to do that you know and like oh we're gonna just you know go to the land where fairies are um which i think is great but i also like i was kind of interested in the idea of maybe just doing the carnival for like mm. brand new brand new people and, and that just is, say like, hey, let's just spend an afternoon at a carnival, guys, and kind of get their feet wet that way. What do you think? And, and that's really great. I mean, if it's a way to familiarize people with their character sheets in kind of sure. in a low stakes kind of setting. Um, and it is also just a fun one shot. It's just, you know, this is the kind of um, this could be downtime between adventures if you wanted to kind of drop in the carnival or yeah. you can just have it as a one shot with people who have never played before just to explain the idea of what role-playing is. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I love that idea too of just, you know, I mean, going back to the example of my, my daughter, we played, I think, three sessions or four sessions of a Frost Maiden campaign. Um, and then, you know, life gets in the way and, and yep. uh, various scheduling monsters uh, are unable to be slain. Um, but now I just love the idea of just being like, all right, well, you still have those same characters. We don't need to roll up new ones. Yeah. Here comes a carnival. It's popped up in the middle of uh, uh, the Ice Age that, uh, oh, you you can solve that later, maybe. Which is an amazing thing. You could even imagine, like, if you're dropping it in the middle of 10 towns and, you know, the ground is all icy, but where the carnival is, it is this idyllic, you know, beautiful place where, you know, the grass is green there and there's flowing water. It's not all frozen over. And it is just, it is just a reprieve from the, you know, the repressive winter that's there. And just sometimes players need that kind of release valve of just like this tension's been too high for weeks and we just need that. And so it could be just a way to just, we're going to the carnival today. That's what we're doing. Well, I love the idea too of the of the denizens of 10 towns going to this carnival and then being like, nope, we're not going back. We're staying in this carnival. Oh, well, yeah, I would just <laughs> oh, That's right. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yes, just become, get uh, a job. 
become yeah, a witch right. hand and just yep. travel along with it. Yes. I, it, it's just, I, I, that's one of the things I loved about the carnival too, is that it, you, even if you don't play in the, the Feywild part, but just, <laughs> just surprise your players in any campaign and just, bloop, oh, guess what? <laughs> there's a carnival. Let's yep. go play some games. Because, and I also love that there's rules for the carnival games as well. Yeah, you, so the carnival itself, uh, you know, it has it has attractions where you can go and watch like, you know, giant snail races and you can uh, participate in, um, there are kind of giant dragonfly rides or, you know, you can, you can do these kind of um, attractions, but there are also a bunch of like carnival games. So you can do things like you could participate in a gnome poetry contest <laughs> or you can try to outstare this illusory cyclops. And so there are all sorts of, Fun ways to uh, just participate individually, or you can do these as a group, and you could just you could have a fun time that way. Um, I I've noticed that Twitter is just a buzz, and by a buzz I mean like two people who have <laughs> noticed that there is a very special snail in uh, the story named Shelly Moo. Are you one of the two people? Okay, so three people. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is correct. Yes, uh, very much. I appreciate that. I'm assuming it's not just a coincidence that there's Shelly Moo the snail. I'm going to just say that there's not. But I also love that Shelly Moo is the pink team because, of, of course, that would be my team. So yeah, put your seeing, money on Shelly Moo. Seeing the delight on Chris Perkins' face with uh, <laughs> when when that was in the list of uh, of snails, it was <laughs> wonderful. It's a good snail name, Shelly. Get it? Yeah. My daughter's also right named now. a turtle. A turtle stuffy is named Shelly in our house. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's good cool. stuff. Anyway, that's one of my favorite things. Another reason why I love um, this book. So Ari, if you were to go into the Feywild. Which fey guide would you choose to escort you? Or maybe you would just be like, no, I'm just going on my own. I'm, I'm winging it. So the, the adventure features uh, three fey guides. But uh, you could also, if you want to create your own fey, fey guides, you, could, you can do that. You could uh, create whatever you, uh, any type of creature you want to be a fey guide. And it's, a, it's usually a good idea to have one. I was, that was my other question. I'm assuming we would want a fey guide? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you could, if you can convince one or kind of uh, do the right favor for a guide who can then help you get from place to place. That is a, usually a prudent move in the Feywild. Um, and so the, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit biased because the, <laughs> the guide that I got to write um, is a, a little scarecrow oh, named, named Clapperclaw. Yes. And Clapperclaw has these like steel lobster-like claws and has a gourd for a head that is filled with coins. And uh, Clapperclaw could, can talk. I don't know exactly how, except I could say it's magical. Um, but the gourd is not Clapperclaw's original head. And if you could help Clapperclaw find his head, then you'll be more inclined to, uh, to help guide you from place to place. Okay. I love, I, didn't the last time we had a guide was, uh, I think, Tomb of Annihilation, uh, where... I think when we played in that internal game, wasn't there like a reality competition to find out who was going to be our, our guide? Um, I, I like the idea of running something like that, right? Where there's <laughs> three or four of them oh, yeah. available to the party and then they get to choose who is their, their favorite. 
Oh, that's great. I like that a good deal. Because what, what that shows, if you could, if you can get into that kind of a place in the Feywild, it shows that your characters have achieved some sort of like confidence or mastery over the rules here and the etiquette here. So like that's part of the joy is like seeing characters get to that, like, oh, I get it here. I understand what I'm how I'm supposed to navigate this place. Um and it's, yeah, there's just kind of like when you first get there, there might be this Alice in Wonderlandy vibe to it of just you're you are from a different place and it is very clear based on the behavior of everyone around you. But yeah, if you can get to that point where you're interacting with a bunch of potential guides and you can choose one, then that, that's, that's a pretty fun way to do it. <laughs> you mentioned travel too. Like how, how does travel work within the Feywild? Is it uh, you know, analogous to material world travel or is it the type of thing where it can go really fast or go really slow depending on the mood of the travelers? Like... Yeah, How so sta- uh, plastic is that? Travel is is uh, is weirder in the Feywild than in in the on the material plane. So, in in the, on the material plane, you travel. You can you can look at a map. You can say it's this many miles or whatever. It'll take this many days to get there. The Feywild is a little bit different. Um, traveling on a road to a distant location isn't necessarily straightforward. It might like the the road might change based on based on mood, based on other magical <laughs> phenomena, and um, it's not so straightforward. Um, sometimes there are magical barriers between places, so you know there are multiple domains of delight. I mean, there are tons of domains of delight, and that are not mappable. The locations can kind of can those domains can kind of grow and shrink depending on the power of the archfey, and it's almost like this moving patchwork of domains of delight. And not every place in the Feywild is even incorporated into one of these domains. So it is this kind of nebulous place, but there are things you can do to travel. You, so you you could travel over land, and if all the conditions are, you've met all the conditions, you can get there. But there are also shortcuts that could exist, in, or that exist once you're in the Feywild. Uh, and these are kind of magical rituals that might help you get from place to place. So for example, if I'm whistling a tune and I walk around, you know, this tree stump counterclockwise, it might be able to, that act of doing that might take me from one location to another location within the Feywild itself. And each of these little shortcuts have their own rituals. And so a DM can have a ton of fun creating these shortcuts as well. And then, like, oh. giving clues so that they could discover exactly. it, right? And, like, how yep. that works and trial and error. And, oh, we ended up in the wrong place. Now we have a whole other part of the adventure that we have to deal with. Yep. Or who knows? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, a good DM trick if you're just like, oh, I got to get him out of here. And just, <laughs> like, let's go. Let's move on. <laughs> chop, chop, guys. Awareness all of a sudden. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's awesome. I just, I, I'm, this is going to be embarrassing, but I just watched the film Legend by Ridley Scott for the first time last night. I'd seen parts of it, you know, clips, never really all the way through. And I was struck by how similar it is to how we're describing the witch, you know, the wild beyond the witch light here. Like, especially that unicorns. Like, having those unicorns prancing and, you know, in shot in beautiful Ridley Scott style. Yep, yep. I was like, man, this is this is how I'm thinking of, of the Feywild now. That's great. Yeah, I, I actually haven't seen that since I was a kid. Um but I know the scene. So yeah, that is fast. Now I want to watch this again. I have my own homework. But yeah, it's worth that, it. That it's worth it for those of you who are, are thinking about visuals uh, yeah. for sure. Because everybody's a little bit sparkly. Like Tom Cruise yeah, has yeah. got some sparkliness to him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a vampire, I think, right? That's how that works. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
We're, no, we're mixing. We're mixing, we're mixing IPs you're again. You're mixing your movies. Yep. Um, should we talk a little bit about the different um, areas of Prismere? Um, sure. Yeah, we can totally can we? We can jump into the different areas. Um, yeah. So Prismere, um, as we talked about before, has an archfey, and that archfey is Zabilna. Now, Zabilna is not, or at the outset of this adventure, Zabilna is kind of missing. Uh-oh. And so, in Zabilna's absence, the uh, the the domain has been carved up into kind of three smaller kind of mini fey realms. There's Hither, Thither, and Yon. And um, so, uh, Hither is this dank, swampy, marshy landscape. Um, and well, I guess let me ask you this. What do you want to know about these places? Because I can go down. I can go down some. Uh, I guess some just, rabbit holes here. Yeah, I like Maybe, having those broad strokes. Yeah, just like real broad, like how they kind of are similar or different from each other. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're they're very visually distinct, and there are, there are themes that uh, play out here. So we talked about the idea of, um, you know, the there are, are hags. Oh, okay, let me let me back up. So in Zabilna's absence, the, the three kind of splinter realms that now exist within Prismere are each run by a hag of the Hourglass Coven. And so you have Hither, which is this, you know, like I mentioned before, it's this kind of immense swampy area. It has these kind of, uh, these waters that kind of rise and fall. So you have this kind of this added danger of whether or not you're going to get stuck in mud or you can kind of, or you're going to get, uh, you have to navigate these kind of, High waters, um, and that's where you can in, encounter um, Herengon brigands, and this is where mm. we see we see them as uh, as um, as things you can interact with for the first time. And then you have uh, thither, which is this kind of enormous forest, and it is kind of like this ancient primeval forest that's there. And the hag that sees uh, there's there's a, a hag that oversees that one as well. And that is the, um, uh, I'm not sure if I should actually get into who the hags are. You know what? I'm not going to because it is fun to, uh, to discover. Um, but so, talked yeah, a little have, bit about them in, the, you know, in our previews. But, you right, know. right, right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you have uh, the, the hag there. So, okay, I'm bouncing all over the place. I'm excited. I'll, about let, I'll let you go but, to the next one and talk about what, okay. what yawn feels like. Okay. So Yon has all of these kind of jagged, dramatic mountains, and it has these brooding storm clouds overhead. They're always kind of releasing, you know, lightning, and it is there's all these, you know, booms of thunder and arcing, arcing electricity with these huge pylons that kind of jut up from the uh, from, from the mountaintops, and all that lightning is then directed to this enormous um, like amphitheater um, that exists in. Uh, uh, within, within uh, Yon. And then in the center of all of it um, is Zabilna's palace. And so that is, that is uh, the whole um, domain of delight kind of circle radiates out from, from this central location. That's awesome. I love how those names kind of map to, uh, you know, uh, past, present, and future. Is that yeah. kind and of it? Time. That is precisely, yeah. That is precisely it. So hither is basically uh, is the the is the place of the present, 
Thither um, is the place of the of the past, and then yawn is the uh, the place of the future. All that with the time and everything it seems yeah. so so yes. cool. Hourglass, the uh, figure eight of uh, of everything. Uh, it's so cool. I the number three, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what's the number three have to do with? So three, you have three. the three members of the hourglass coven. Mm. And visually, if you take a three and then it's reflection and you put them together, you get an eight. So like there are all these kinds of uh, visual uh, symbols and themes that kind of play out through through the adventure as well. So cool. And um, these come to life. These like little parts, uh, I've been lucky enough to see some of the maps that are included in The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. And I love how these show off the vibrancy and color of, of this domain of delight. Yeah, I just want to really compliment uh, Stacey Allen and Will Doyle on their, not, not only did they write, you know, uh, a good chunk of the book, but they did the maps here. And oh. uh, yeah, they did those uh, those maps and they are amazing. Um, yeah, I I am so pleased with how they turned out. They just, they always put a smile on my face. They always... are amazing. They're just, there's so much to discover on those on those maps and they're just, people just audibly gasp when they see them for the first time. They're that good. For sure. I, I mean, maybe I'm shilling uh, Shelley and I's book so far, but there's one essay about maps that I feel like there are, they are magical items. Like they are portals to yeah. other worlds and that's on display here in, in this book for sure. It's so strange how evocative a map can be. Like, you know, illustrations are evocative in a different way, but the idea of seeing a place on a map and saying, I want to go to yep. that place, you know, that's, yeah, it's, it is, yeah, like you said, it's magical. It, there's something special about a map. And the and the map of the Witchlight Carnival, uh, I just want to call that out too, because I definitely have a picture of what that looks and feels like, way more than, you know, the 20 or so odd pages that are describing it in text form. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I have a visual now, and that cements everything for me. And the map itself is, you know, it shows, you know, the layout of of the carnival. But there are also, it's also an in-game tool because there are parts of the map that you use um, to track time and also to track the mood, the general mood of the of the people uh, within the carnival. And so, yeah, the the map was designed to be to be evocative, um, but you know, show locations, but also be an in-game tool. It's wonderful. And people watching it might notice a pattern of an eight, perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe. Um, the carnival. Well, actually, no, I want to talk about this a little bit about the story tracker because that kind of talks about something else that I thought was really cool with this is that this there is some additional um, guidance for maybe some newer dungeon masters who yeah, might so be discovering uh, or going behind the screen for their first time. And that's like that's part of the thing, like with with D and D, right? Like, there's this kind of mystery to DMing until you've done it. And so, with our books, we're 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 trying, we're always trying new things to make a DM's life a little bit easier, and kind of make that that first step uh, a a little less scary. And so, one of the things we included this time around was a story tracker. It's essentially, uh, it's 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 a sheet of paper that has uh, relevant adventure information uh, and who kind of has interacted with it, which characters have interacted with it, where certain things are in the world. And it's just very much basically like a best practices um, guide for, for running an adventure. 
And it just basically, yeah, helps you keep a lot of relevant information kind of at your fingertips at all time. And in addition to that, we're also trying out this, this thing where a lot of the NPCs have these cards in the back of the book in, in one of the appendices where it basically has a lot of role-playing information there. So if you have those cards or if you print that out and you have those when you're going to be running a session with those NPCs, then it just makes that, um, it makes running them a little bit easier. Yeah, the cards are super cool. I'm looking at them right now. I um, mean, we also mentioned the uh, the Heron Gone, uh, and I read a little bit in a preview uh, that is out in the wild right now. Uh, so go check it out. Um, but I believe that it was it was your reaction to some imagery that is the reason why Heron Gone are in this book. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so the initial like, inspiration for Heron Gone, and particularly the Heron Gone brigands that then show up in the adventure, is Medieval manuscripts have these little, you know, drawings or paintings in the margins of, uh, of religious texts. And these, this is called marginalia. And a lot of them, an odd number of them, I suppose, feature rabbit folk, like holding weapons, like clubs or swords or whatever, and just harassing monks or fighting. Sometimes they're fighting like, uh, like almost like anthropomorphic hounds, or they might be jousting from the back of a snail. It is weird. And, <laughs> but you get the sense that they are kind of a, a cruel and brutal bunch. And so it was from that that I was like, I, I, need, I need to encounter these, these brigands on the road. Like that is the thing, that is an experience I want to, uh, to write into an adventure. And from there, um, you know, the idea kind of then, uh, uh, kind of expanded into, well, what if we were able to play as one of these Herringons and the idea that, you know, not, the idea of expressing Herringons as a playable race um, kind of just made it into the book. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I want to play with a group that is like an oops, all Herringons group. And we're all <laughs> kind of, uh, all these rabbit folk and we're in the, uh, we're in the Feywild doing whatever. So. Oh, I love that. But if they're I, all, uh, I would be that in that group. No, we're, yeah. gonna have to, we're gonna have to do it. So one of the things about them I notice is, is it says herringons are blessed with a little fey luck. Is that like supposed to be like a joke about a rabbit's foot being lucky? Is that is that how you interpreted it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, everything is intentional. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they should be very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I thought sorry. it was a play on rabbits tend to get lucky pretty often. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it could be that. Uh, I guess that could be it too. It's awesome. Uh, all uh, of the above. Yep. D and D is that. whatever you want it to be, Greg. Right, and with each, you know, like like every player character, you can have you know a Bugs Bunny type of heron gone. You can have I'm thinking a, like Watership Down, the Watership Down. You could have a Fiver who's like a you know priest oh, of yeah. divination who is no things are happening. The sky is falling. Yep. The, um, the, and then it gets killed uh, by a Warforged. I think is how that works, right? Oh. <laughs> or you can play. I want to play like a Usagi Ojimbo character. Yeah, yeah a ton of fun. Yeah, so yeah. fun. I got lots of inspiration there, definitely. And of course, fairies. Who doesn't want to play a fairy? That's going to be yeah. real popular. Yep. Yeah, I'm stoked to do that too. Like, there's there's so much fun you can do, and it's interesting to 
play as characters who are associated with the Feywild? Because what is their story, right? How mm-hmm. did they, where did what brought them to the material plane and then they're going back to the Feywild? Is that something they're reticent about or is that something they're excited? Like, there's a lot of stories you get to tell if you are starting as one of those characters. Yeah, and I think that the same is true also for the Fey Lost background. Yeah. And I I got super sad hearing Chris talk about that for some reason. I, and I'm like, I don't I don't want to be a I don't want to be a Fey Lost now. I thought it would like, oh, that's cool. Like I there's great stories there. Like I just ran away and went to the Feywild. But it's like, I don't know. Like the way he described it was very melancholy and now I don't know if I want to be. And that is a thing. Like when you talk about when you know when you hear about the land of fairy in in folklore, there is this sense of people, you know, people who have been there or kind of fell into this magical sleep. And then when they woke up and things are different or they left part of themselves in the Feywild, there is this weird thing that if you have been to the Feywild, that when you leave it and you return to the material plane, that things don't seem as vibrant, right? Like you are leaving this place that is for all of its kind of chaotic nature, there is this absolute beauty to it. And, you know, when you step out of that, there is that sense like, oh, okay, I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm back in, in the world, you know, and I got to deal with my worldly things and my worldly problems. And so there is something about that, but that is, that is melancholy, um, but that's where good stories are. It is. There, I think it's definitely ripe with, like, good backstory. Like, why it's are you here? Brigadoon. Yeah. And like also, I'm just real still thinking about the idea of going to the carnival without a ticket and then having something taken from you. And yep. then just being a character completely outside of this adventure, um, just anywhere, but like just knowing like, well, that's part of my background and that's why my eyes are blank or whatever. Yeah. And you have you that's, that's why I, I mean, can't you smile. Even treat it, yeah, you can treat it as a side quest to recover that. So you can go as deep into the Feywild as you want. That's part of the beauty of how this is set up. Um, or you can run through the adventure as it's written. Like it's yeah, yep. it's there's so I think, many good I think it works on that level. Yeah. So wanna, much good stuff. I want to talk a little bit about uh, a property from the eighties that involved going through a portal and then having the party members be transformed by that event. And it's something you said around, you know, the Heron Gone or even the fairies or whatever, but how cool it'd be to play maybe as your real selves and then you get going to the Witchlight Carnival and then you get transformed into something else when you're in the Feywild and then having to deal with that, right? Having to deal with with the transformation that comes uh, from from going through that portal a la the D&D cartoon. And I, I hadn't even considered that idea. I mean, D&D itself is, could be such a wide umbrella in terms of how you play it. And the idea of going from, you know, I think I've said this before in other places, but this is how it helped me think of the Feywild, where like D&D is a magical place compared to our, our real world, right? And so when we were thinking about the Feywild, we had to, what is the fantasy place compared to the D&D material like plane? So it's like we had to think about that. So the idea of then, okay, take out, you know, take out that middle element, and it's just like we're going from our mundane world into the Feywild, like that could be bonkers. Like that could be a ton of fun, especially if somebody who's never role played before, or or they don't know fantasy very well. The idea of, you know, what a warlock is or a cleric might be a little bit nebulous. But if you say yes, you are, you know, are going into this fantastical world, might be an interesting way to uh, 
bring yeah. someone into what fantasy even is. I, I hadn't even thought about that. I didn't either until just now. So now I'm, I'm totally going to run it that way for my kids, <laughs> I think, uh, uh, and see how they deal with being yeah. their 10-year-old selves and 8-year-old selves being, you know, uh, a heron gone and a, and a bullywug uh, or something. Oh, that's so that's cute. Great. They would um, love that. But I also love the idea of bringing back some of those older, uh, you know, 1980s characters, uh, if anybody had any of the action figures from 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 way back in the day. I know I know Bart's got a few <laughs> of War Still Duke. has them. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, yes. Those characters appear in this, Adventure or can appear if DM wants to use it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the fun things. We got to see um, the artist uh, Darkin reimagine those characters. Um, and just he did such an awesome job. And it, it's just fun to see them in the book. It's fun to see, you know, stat blocks for these characters, like really interacting them with them in a tangible way. Um, yeah, I, I'm super stoked about, yeah, just getting to meet them. That's going to be really fun. I showed this on Twitter, but I figured I could show a little visual. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> I had this <laughs> costume that was just in the office for a long time. Yes. It, doesn't say, it doesn't say any name on it, except it says Paladin uh, there. <laughs> Paladin. Paladin. Which every uh, kid wants but, to be for Halloween. Paladin. But this is Strongheart, right? This is definitely the way Strongheart looks in, yep. uh, in you know, even uh, with everything going on, including that amazing oh, mustache. I am like sweating yeah. just looking at that, like knowing like how hot and unbreathable <laughs> that costume is and how yeah. incredibly flammable it probably is. Oh, no, it's not uh, flammable because it's, I don't know if you can read this, but it's a flame yep. retarded uh, Collegeville costume. So we're good. Well, at least that, uh, Put that right on the front there. Good warning for people. <laughs> totally going to oh. use that when uh, when Strongheart shows up in. Oh, please the, do that. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there's your cosplay. You're you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. and then if we, anybody's got those action figures, you know, go ahead, drop them on the on the board, or at least give them some tactile uh, something to play with. Yep, that was a that, but that's another theme in here too, right? Nostalgia, like not just you know. Yeah. The real world nostalgia for people who might still have fond memories of War Duke, but also trying to recover the, your lost item from when, when you were a child. If you choose to go that route in the story, there could be yeah, a Yeah, of- that is absolutely part of it. And kind of the idea of watching the way kind of kids can lose themselves in their imagination uh, and just like so fully. And that was definitely part of it. Going into the carnival, you know, playing characters going to a carnival is is kind of a surreal experience, you know, when you think about it. Mm. Um, and just, it, you know, it really plays to what, what D&D is about. It's this collective imagination. But with that is nostalgia because of that, that childlike quality of being able to do that. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, I think I mean, that... I'm excited to play, play this with my niece and nephew to kind of to watch that as well and just kind of share their imagination. I love too how I mean we were talking about the Fey Wild and how it's something you might lose or or you know that Fey lost background. To me, the Fey Wild is a metaphor for losing childhood to 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 growing up. Uh, and I'm so glad that, that at least the three of us have never grown up uh, and continue to play D and D and and make <laughs> pretend. Uh, and I wish more people out there were doing that. So that we're, we're we're just by having this adventure and this story out here, I think we're doing a good thing. Yes, we are. And this is a great way, a great story to remind yourself too. Yeah. You can still have fun and play make believe and play. Can and discover wear a silly costume. And wear a silly costume. And be a, a bunny. <laughs> be a bunny. Be a bunny. Yeah, with a with a cigar. 
Because why not? Uh, this has been so uh, fun uh, talking to you, Ari. I love how oh, it bounces around so ideas uh, and, and, and getting to the heart of why things are in there and what's happening. And I can't wait for more people to check out The Wild Beyond the Witchlight uh, September 21st. Yeah, I, I, it's always great to, to chat with you. And I uh, can't wait to actually hold the book in my hands. And uh, I know. hopefully we get to play soon in person. I hope so. Yeah. But if case not, I'm available um, virtually as well. If anybody, I'm desperate. For I'm desperate for <laughs> a witchlight game, please. I mean, yeah, we have to run the adventure or the the carnival at least for sure. Oh Definitely. yeah, that should Definitely. be like a happy hour uh, activity. I know, right? I'm practicing my ring toss. I'm gonna be really good at it. <laughs> I got my homerage teleporting around. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Ari. Uh, where can people uh, find you online? Where's your Where's your handle? Uh, I am uh, at Ari Levich on Twitter, but I am uh, kind of hermit-like, and I don't post <laughs> a ton. But uh, yeah, but that's where I'm at. So awesome! Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Ari, and uh, can't wait. Thanks, Ari. Thank you. So fun to talk to Ari. He brings so much creativity to the table, and uh, it really just makes this whole world come to life hearing him I, talk about it. And I love how excited he is to talk about it. Like, it's yeah. just, you can tell, like, even though he probably has not technically worked on it in a really long time, just given our lead times on things, it's <laughs> just exciting to see that, like, it's still very fresh in his mind and he's just jazzed to, as as we are, to, to talk about it and to play in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now I want you to play in my uh, my campaign with um, with the girls. Maybe you can, <gasps> you can be a kid again. Please, somebody, yeah. please invite me to a campaign. You're please. invited. Yay! But watch out. Things happen. Maybe. We'll yeah. see. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. But we are excited, as we said, about uh, D&D Celebration and the release of The Wild Beyond the Witchlight uh, this month. So the best way to find out all about that and learn all of the upcoming news to follow us on Twitter. We are at wizards underscore DND. Go to dungeonsanddragons.com to find out all about the latest products that are coming out. Or, of course, download Dragon Plus to your phone uh, where you can get tons of great previews, interviews, and content uh, delivered every couple of months there. Some yep. great stuff coming for The Wild Beyond the Witchlight as well as Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons uh, in the near future. And that content, you don't have to get it on your phone. You can get it on dragonmag.com as well. Uh, and I hope you do, because there's a lot of stuff in there. And we'll get you all excited for what's to come. You can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, what about you, uh, Snail Racer? I am at Shelly Moo. Oh. Not to be confused with the pink team snail from The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep bringing it up because it's maybe the coolest thing that ever happened to me. It is pretty cool. I think you should uh, um, make the image of that snail uh, your profile pic for maybe just at least the release day of this adventure. Or maybe forever. Maybe forever. I don't know if Shelly Moo actually has a picture, though. We'll see. Just put a a snail on there and everyone will just know it's you. Oh, yeah. You know what? There is... um, There is a... There is art of the snails racing. Unfortunately, um, I don't see the pink snail in this picture. Well, you're going to have to do some... Uh, I can color creative. it in. Yeah, yep. color it in with a, with a crayon. 
that's like, this you know one what? is Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo was probably so fast that they couldn't <laughs> get her picture. <laughs> she would not stay for uh, <laughs> a portrait to be created. Yeah, so money on Shelly Moo. Money that's on That's awesome. Well, I want to give another shout out to the folks who produce this podcast for us, Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr. Thanks yes. again for all they do putting this together. We don't always mention them every single episode, but, but they're always doing here. it right now. And we love them. They make this podcast go round and the round. clock. And everything else. And everything else. It's true. Literally uh, everything else. We just show up. Including uh, what's going on with Drunky Two Shoes here. So you, uh, Drunky, have been in the city of Waterdoop. You have made your way to the Garrulous Grocer where Laryl Silverhand says there is uh, some information that points to a enclave of doppelgangers that are plotting her demise and or mm-hmm. assassination. And she wants you, the fighter Samson, who is also a harper, and your brother Daryl to root it out. Uh, and you had walked in, had a conversation with the halfling uh, at the counter, and then went around to the back in order to try to sneak your way in or at least oh. bluff your way in. Uh, but unfortunately, the halfling guard there uh, did not take your... A ruse of a minor illusion trying to bring in some bread, I believe, from Pete's some bread. Some grains and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so George's. you had failed your deception roll and he said, wait a second, you don't need three people to deliver one box of... What's going on here? Oh, I'm training these guys? Our business is booming and so I've recently hired a couple of guys here. But I... This service is my number one priority, and you don't just drop a box off and go. Like, I want them to see, like, the exchange. Like, you and I, were friends, and you're social, and you're happy, and you're, we're customer. Like, you're not just a customer to me. You're family, and I need them to see that. And then when I drop this off, I don't just hand it to you and walk off. I want to go inside. I want to meet the other people. I want to look around. I'm going to place these beautiful grains products somewhere safe and special and i'd love to say hello to uh uh joyce the woman behind the counter i can i say hello to her we're good friends all right she loves me. i i'm gonna roll uh, uh insight with dis or with yeah with disadvantage because that was pretty good thank you um okay roll me uh roll me your deception and see whether you are 17 17 mm-hmm all right he says uh, you know Joyce yes uh, none of this makes any sense but oh. uh, you know uh, if you need to just come in and drop it off just go ahead and do that all right thank you oh uh I got something for you uh, for the kids in the truck too uh I, I'll give I'll give it to you on the way out I hate kids just put it down I, yeah well it's poison <laughs> 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 okay, really? let's go. Come on, Daryl. Uh, uh, all right, so he kind of steps aside a little bit, and you walk into the storeroom area, and there is, uh, you know, large amount of produce here that's being sorted and put into uh, crates for easy pickup uh, by the customers outside. Um, it's very messy. Uh, there are a few other uh, halflings walking around and going about their business, but you also notice. Oh, actually, make me a perception check. Oh, great. I was all excited when you said, and you notice. <laughs> oh, she's just going to... 
An eight. I'm not An really eight. noticing much. Uh, okay, so you see, you see uh, some of the the halflings that are bustling about, like going into a, a, a corner that's covered up by um, crates, um, and then they, uh, you, then you hear the sounds of of stairs going down. Okay, uh, like of you know footsteps going down. Uh, but the guard just moves aside for a second, and he asks you to uh, or put down the delivery. You sit it down right there. Oh, let me bring it in for you. It's already inside. It's it's fine. Let me put it's it. It's going to get sorted by everything. Can I see Joyce? Uh, she's out in front. Why don't you just go walk around to the Do front? Do you have a restroom? What? No. Uh, there's, a, there's a privy. I need doors a, down. I really need a restroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am I going to make you roll deception to see whether or not you look like you really need to <laughs> crap your pants? <laughs> How good are you at this? <laughs> Please. I need a restroom. Look, I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you roll? What did you roll for another oh. deception? Oh, I thought you said you weren't going to make me. No, I'm going oh. to make you. Uh, a 10. A ten. <laughs> uh, don't do it here. There's food everywhere. Please. Uh, go out in the alley. That's what alleys are I run. for. I just make a run for it and I go downstairs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's roll. We'll roll initiative uh, and oh, start no. it up with initiative uh, at the at the top of our next session here. You want me to roll now? No, because I'll oh, forget. Okay. Damn it! I got a nineteen. Please. <laughs> well, make a note if if you can remember that next time we record, then I'll go with the nineteen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying. You. Oh. I would have given you advantage on that deception check if you had cast like stinking cloud or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do have a cloud. I have a... Oh, no, I don't. That's a different... Oh, yeah, I do. I have fog cloud. Mm, well, next time. Next time you're trying to pretend that you uh, have gas. <laughs> All right. Noted. All right. We'll pick it up next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.